This Augusta Golf Show podcast is brought to you by Audi Augusta, online at AudiAugusta.com. Well, Jimmy Roberts covers the game for NBC Sports and Golf Channel. Jimmy has now been with NBC for more than 20 years. Coming over after about 12 years with ESPN and ABC, I've kind of forgotten a lot about that. It's a pleasure to welcome Jimmy Roberts back to the Augusta Golf Show. How are you, Jimmy? John, I'm well, thanks. Good to be with you as always. It just seems when you've you hear those numbers, I just think, how is it possible I could have been around that long? <laughs> I know. I added up. Like, there's 32 years right there. Um, yeah, it's a little crazy. I'm going to assume, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm going to assume you've covered and or been to every major championship at one time or another. Um, which of the four is your favorite, Jimmy? Well, that's like asking somebody who their favorite child is. Which of the I four mean, is your favorite, Jimmy? <laughs> What's that? Which of the four is your favorite? Well, I don't know that I have a favorite. I mean, they each have their own unique appeal. Um, you know, there's the history and charm of the Open Championship. You know, the venues, it each calls to mind, you know, something special and unique. There's the U.S. Open, which is our national championship. Uh, you know, and that's just something that kind of stands on its own. The Masters is the Masters. I don't have to tell you, your listeners, you know, down there in Augusta, it's, you know, it's special. I mean, just think about it. It's just a private club that started its own little invitational tournament, which is what it was called initially. And it kind of blossomed into this wonderful event that is arguably the most popular event in, in golf, one of the most popular events in sports, you know, and I think that when I think about that event, I think about the fact that people know that course backwards and forwards. And that's one of the things that they love about it so much is the familiarity. And, um, you know, they know what to expect. I think, I think sometimes actually when viewers are watching an event where they're not familiar with the course, it can be a little bit disorienting, but at Augusta, I mean, you can just rattle them off. You know exactly what the holes are. You know, the uphill par four to start, downhill par five to sec- the second, the short par, you know, four third, the, the you know, tough par fourth, uh, par three fourth, and on and on and on. Um, and that doesn't even take into account, you know, uh, the second nine and amen corner. So there's just so many, so much about it that's so familiar and so wonderful. <laughs> And then, the, you know, the PGA Championship, which is special because it was really the first event. You know, people in golf, I think that when they think about golf, they think about professional golf. And that to them is golf, the PGA Tour. Well, long before there was a PGA Tour, there were just professionals. And the championship that they played for, their championship, was the PGA Championship. And it's special to me also because, um, you know, the first PGA Championship was played up in my neck of the woods at Siwanoi in Bronxville, New York. And, um, you know, I have a lot of friends who are PGA professionals. So, like I said, each of them has their own appeal. You've been to St. Andrews? I have, several times. How does it, how does it move you? What, what's the feeling you get when you're there? It's just cool. You know, I mean... I, you know, when I think about it, I, I think of the, the Bobby Jones quote, and I'm going to mangle it here. It said, 
you could take take away everything else in my my life away except my experience at St. Andrews, and I will have had a full life. And I I just think that first of all, there's the fact that it stood the test of time. You know, it's been around for a century and a half longer, I suppose. And um, you know, it was designed by by you know the big guy himself. <laughs> you know, there was no architect who came in there and and designed it. I mean, it has brush strokes. It bears brush strokes from, you know, people over the years, certainly old Tom Morris. Um, but I think one of the most wonderful things about it is that it is as natural as you get. And, um, you know, then there's the town of St. Andrews, you know, and the road hole and the, just the finishing hole. And, you know, the, uh, you know, that first hole and, you know, the, RNA clubhouse right in back of you. And it's just so much about it. That's just so special. Um, and I think back on the things that have happened there, you know, and, uh, you know, I remember, you know, and this is, doesn't go way back, but I remember the first time I went to St. Andrews it was 1995. And, uh, it was a playoff ended up being a playoff between John Daly and Constantino Roca. And, uh, Roca and Daly both hit it up there in the playoff in uh, the Valley of Sin, and Roca kind of lays the sod over one. And uh, Judy Rankin was standing next to me. She grabbed my arm and she said, oh, if there was any justice in the world, that that, that young man would, would hit the next one in. And, of course, he did. You know, Daly ends up winning. It was um, pretty remarkable. I just, uh, I don't know, just moments St. Andrews is a pretty cool place. We're talking with Jimmy Roberts here on the Augusta Golf Show. Do you think next week is Tiger's way of saying goodbye to St. Andrews? I don't. I, I certainly hope not. You know, I respect the fact that it means so much to him. You know, having won there twice, he understands the significance of St. Andrews in the greater story of the game of golf. And I think he's grateful for having won there twice. Uh, I admire someone who is as hard-boiled a competitor as he is. He's just not going to give up. Um, and um, I think it'll be just interesting to see. I just It's so hard for me to, to think about Tiger Woods just saying, yeah, you know what, I just don't want to compete anymore. But but it comes to but, why are athletes why are they always the last to know, Jimmy? Well, I'll tell you why. Because many of them, most of them, that has defined their adult lives, and even long before they were adults, it's you know they they say what you do is not who you are. But you know, with you when you think about all the adulation and all that goes with being a successful professional golfer, you know, giving it up is really hard. It's not like the rest of us who are going to retire at some point or another. And I, I think it's going to be difficult for all of us, you know, to give up things that we love. But I just look at, you know, think about Tiger. You know, he has literally been on in front of the cameras and in front of our eyes since he was, what, two, three years old? That first thing I was the Merv Griffin show. Mike Douglas. Was it Merv Griffin? Mike Douglas, right? Mike, Mike Douglas show, you know, and Bob Hope hitting the ball with his dad. And he has been a public figure 
and a competitive golfer ever since. Now, you're going to take that away from him and expect that it's just going to be smooth sailing and it's it's going to be an easy thing? I mean, how does that work? You know, you're removing a gigantic part of what his life is about. So that's why I think it's so hard. When that day comes, what will you remember the most about Tiger? Huh. couple things. I go back to, you know, when he first started, I, just a personal reflection. I remember when I was with ESPN, and uh, he was the two-time defending U.S. amateur champion, and I had been sent out there to do a story at Pumpkin Ridge on Tiger in the Open, and uh, actually had to leave before the weekend. And I remember this was back in the days when he would sit down, you know, for one-on-one interviews. And I had an interview with him for Sports Center, and we wrapped it up. And I said, well, I'll see you. Uh, good luck. And he said, well, where are you going? I said, well, I've got to go home. My wife is pregnant with our first child, and there are some issues, so I need to, you know, go home and make sure everything's okay. And um, so I left. he said, well, isn't it customary for you to stay for the actual competition, which was typical Tiger, you know, just sticking the needle in. And um, so we laughed a little bit. I left. And, of course, the next week he turned professional. And that was in Milwaukee. And, again, I was on a plane out to Milwaukee to cover it. And it, that was the Hello World press conference. And I remember I saw him that day. And the very first thing he said when he saw me was, Hey, how's your wife? Is she okay? And Tiger and I have had our personal ups and downs over the years. But when I think, if you're asking me what I think of, when I, when I think of Tiger, what will I think of? I will think of that. I will also think of my first event for NBC Sports was the 2000 U.S. Open, and Tiger won by 15 strokes. Uh, I, um, yeah, those two things. I think those are the two things I'll think most about. Uh, continuing, talking about the Open Championship, I don't like, you know, asking who's going to win, who do you think's going to win. It's kind of a foolhardy game. But I will ask you this, Jimmy. Who do you think's going to play well? Well, listen, anybody who doesn't think Xander Shoffley's going to play well hasn't been paying attention. Hmm. Um, you know, one in Hartford, um, and then one you know, that pro-am over in Ireland. And he's never been to never been to St. Andrews and talked about how excited he was to go over and see it and play. And he's played well links golf courses. So, I mean, listen, I agree with you, John. I think predicting who's going to win is just a silly thing. There's just too many things that can uh, affect the result. But um, if I had to pull somebody's name out of a hat, I don't think Xander Shoffley would be a bad choice. A couple of other topics since I have you. Sports and gambling. Where do, where do you think this is going? I, I, I can't, I have to believe, Jimmy, one day, and I don't know how far away this will be, we'll be watching a golf telecast, and the odds of a particular shot, his second shot to 15 will be up there. I mean, do you, can you envision real-time, real-time gambling like that? Yeah, I'd imagine. I mean, personally, I'm not a big fan of it. You know, I just think that there's just too much that can go wrong. But, you know, it's so much a part of our culture these days. And I think that people who think like I think are regarded as dinosaurs. But, you know, I've been around to see some of the things that have happened in the past. 
um, and it just makes me uncomfortable. What what does the dinosaur think of of the Live Series and the situation that golf now finds itself? Complicated. Yeah. Um, you know, there are a lot of different ways to look at it. Uh, I personally believe that in this country, people should be allowed to earn a living as long as it's legal, however they should so choose. Um, on the other hand, um, I knew lots of people who were killed in 9-11. And I'm a journalist. And there's a lot about you know, the way that the Saudis do business that makes me very, very uncomfortable. On the other hand, if you were to, you know, approach anybody and say, I'm going to offer you enough money to make your family secure forever, how do you dismiss that as something to not be considered? Um, it's, it's complicated. It's really, really complicated. Can you envision a way that the live players find their way back to the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour? I mean, it just, as you and I talk today, I don't know that I can. Can you? I don't know. You know, I think that's up to the lawyers, and I think that's where it'll end up. Um, all, here's all I hope for, John. I hope to be able to see the best players in the world compete against one another as they have for so many years. And, you know, I'm not sure how this whole thing is going to resolve itself. I do just know that it's just so monumentally complicated. And, and, and it, it appears, to your point, I wouldn't be surprised if we see them all gather at major championships. It does kind of appear we're going down that path. Well, you know, but that is also complicated yeah. because unless... So let's just take the case of, you know, someone who has won the Open Championship and is not yet 65 years old. Well, fine, they can be in the field. But what about, you know, take Brooks Kepka for example. Unless the issue of world ranking points is settled, you know, how long is it going to be? I mean, he has exemptions to the Open Championship for I don't know how many years left by virtue of his U.S. Open wins and his... Uh, PJ Championship wins, but at some point, without the benefit of earning world official world golf ranking points, it's going to take, what, about 18 months for him to kind of fall out of the top 50? You know? Yeah. And then, how does he qualify? Uh, you know, what becomes of, forget about all the other players in the Masters, what becomes of, you know, the four live players who have won the Masters. And so, you know, presumably are going to be playing until they reach the age where they're, you know, asked not to come back. What happens to them? You know, I, I just, there's so much uncertainty. And I think there's a lot of things that need to work themselves out. And, um, you know, I get back to what I said initially. It is so complicated and um, I just think the next year in golf is going to be just a really curious thing to watch. We're talking with Jimmy Roberts here on the Augusta Golf Show. I never knew this, Jimmy. Um, I didn't know until recently. You, you were a writer. You were a producer for, for Howard Cosell. Do you remember those times fondly? What, what was he like when you were with him? He was a, 
he was quite a quite a handful. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know how many of your listeners will remember who Howard Cosell was. You know, for my money, he was probably the most consequential sports broadcaster of all time. Um, he was. He used to like to say that he was one of the three C's of television. There was Cronkite, Carson, and Cosell. And he, you know, he's probably right. Um, along with you know Walter Cronkite, of course, and Johnny Carson. The he was a cultural, a true cultural icon, uh, a bigger deal than any other sports broadcaster I think has ever been. Um, and he was brilliant. He could be cruel. I learned a lot from him. Um, he was funny. Uh, you know, to use the word complicated again, he was a complicated man. Um, you know, he was Jackie Robinson's lawyer. He, or he had been Jackie Robinson's lawyer. He was, I remember he once told me, and everybody does a Cosell imitation, but he said, half the people hate me and half the people love me, but all of the people watch me. And he was right. So I do fondly remember it because working for and with Howard was to be in the eye of the hurricane and just you just never knew who you were going to run into. And he was a bigger deal than anybody he interviewed, with the possible exception of, you know, Muhammad Ali and John Lennon. And, um, you know, oddly, he was close to John Lennon. And he was the one who announced his death on national television. I'll never forget I was watching yep. Monday Night Football. Game. I was, too. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I do remember it fondly because I really feel like I'm incredibly fortunate to have been had a very good seat for one of the greatest acts in the history of television. Um, and he was a remarkable and crazy man. You mentioned your good seat. You still have a pretty good seat. Um, do you have a bucket list? Is there something something you haven't seen, something you haven't done, a place you haven't gone, a sporting event, or anything? You got one of those? I guess I'd have to think about it. Nothing that I can really kind of put my finger on. I mean, I, you know, I remember I had a bucket list of I wanted to write a book, and now I've written two, and I'm working on my third. Um, you know, I, I hope that, you know, for the remainder of my career that I can focus on encouraging people to respect what journalists do. You know, I, I think that just because you hold a microphone or, you know, use a word processor or computer doesn't make you a journalist. Journalists are storytellers with conscience and people who are in search of the truth doesn't mean everybody has to be, you know, Mike Wallace from 60 Minutes. But the whole idea is to represent people who are sitting on their couches and would like the answers to questions that you are in a position to ask and tell the stories that they would like to hear. And I think journalism is an important thing. I really do. What's the if you if you don't mind me asking what's the what's the book about? Oh, I wrote a book about ten years ago called Breaking the Slump. Right, how great players sur survive their worst times in the game, and what you can learn from it. 
which I enjoyed. And then wrote a book last year that just came out with Mark Messier, the Hockey Hall of Famer, which was a memoir where he talked a lot about leadership. And um, and I have since, I'm in the midst of just finishing up a novel that I've written. Oh. Which is just not really about sports at all. But there there's some sports in it. Will I, will I binge it one day on Netflix? You know what? Only if I'm lucky. <laughs> that'll mean somebody will buy it. So that nothing would make me happier. He is Jimmy Roberts from NBC Sports and Golf Channel. Uh, you spent more time than I initially asked for, Jimmy. Thank you. Thank you for this time. Um, best to you, and I hope we see each other soon. Thank you. I, I hope so, too, John. It's a pleasure to be with you always. Thank you for staying longer. That was, that was perfect. I, and I appreciate you indulging me in some non-golfing questions. No, that's all good. All good.